Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas. dot com slash acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to episode forty six of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings, and ten years ago, I gave up my live streaming career as a radio presenter with one big regret: never getting to interview my hero, the legendary British musician Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. This week, my guest is Dave Swift. Since joining Jules Holland and his Rhythm and Blues Orchestra in 1991, Dave has established himself as one of the UK's finest high-profile bass players. In his career, which expands beyond three decades now, he boasts a musician's portfolio that seconds no other. Playing with an array of renowned artists from George Benson and Shaka Khan to Hall and Oates, Ray Davies, Ringo Starr, Jimmy Cliff, Brian Ferry, Paul Young, Paul Simon, Paul McCartney. And, of course, the main man, another Paul, Mr. Paul Weller. Dave has got to perform with Paul on plenty of occasions on TV and live in concert with some pretty iconic moments and some fabulous recordings for albums and singles in the mix as well. So let's get into it. Dave Swift, thanks for joining me. Ah, my pleasure. Thanks for asking. You have been there, part of the team for some of Paul's most loved TV performances over the past 30 years, and some of the ones that have properly gone viral and made a really big splash. So we're going to get into that and talk about that. And also, you're a key part of one of my favourite TV shows ever, which we'll touch on in a sec too. I'm not sure if you can guess which one. Go on. <laughs> Any ideas? It's not Jules Holland, is it? Well, it is that one. Actually, yes, that's the obvious one, but there is another one too, but we'll touch on that in a sec. Kick things off. When was it you first discovered the music of Paul Weller? Um, it would have, when I was a kid, uh, and I never wanted to be a musician, I hasten to add. You know, when I was at school, I took up the trombone just for, it was just a bit of fun, really. Both my brothers played guitar, and, you know, it was like a, a musical household in the fact that I was listening to their albums and whatever, but I never wanted to be a musician. So, but I did take up the trombone, which which I loved when I was fourteen, and then I took up the bass guitar and the double bass when I was fifteen. I was still at school, and I was a, I was self taught as a bass player. So I was l- l- watching things like Top of the Pops and the Old Grey Whistle Test and whatever I could find to you know help me 
sort of learn to play and stuff. So obviously the jam were, were a big thing at the time, you know, they were all over our TV screens. So, and I, I remember being very taken with the song Start, a very cool baseline to it. And I remember learning that very early on. So that, that's probably uh, the beginning of my uh, association with Paul was, was from that and, and watching him on TV a lot. And how much did you follow his career through the jam and the breakup and then the style council? Were you close to that music or was it not really your bag at the time? I really did like the jam. I was probably more into, uh, at that time, I was uh, more probably into like the two-tone stuff, uh, you know, so, and I think because it was, because I was a trombone player as well and a lot of those two-tone bands had horn sections, you know, so I was being like sort of the specials and, and madness and all that kind of thing. But yeah, I, I definitely was, anytime they came on TV, anytime sort of Paul and the, the jam came on TV, I would definitely watch them. The Style Council, I was probably into a little bit more because I guess that was closer to the music that I, I was really into. Uh, and, and of course, the great thing about the Style Council was that it had featured Mick Tolbert as well, who who ended up playing in Jules Holland's band as, as well. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Mick has, has depth for Jules, because Jules' brother Chris is our organ player and yeah. uh, Chris has, has had to miss sort of gigs and tours for various reasons. So Mick Tolbert was, was always brought in. So, so yeah, so not only sort of getting to sort of meet and play with Paul further down the line, it was it was Mick as well. So yeah, I, I, pro- I probably was more aware of of the Style Council stuff than than the Jam, and it was probably just because I, I, that that music was a bit more connection. But yeah, I, I, I love the Jam, and again, I just remember seeing him on TV so much as a kid and avidly watching it whenever those guys came on. So you mentioned that you didn't set out to be a musician. That wasn't your your thoughts and career path. So how did that change? Then at some point, presumably it did. <laughs> yeah, I think I just got unlucky. Um, <laughs> well, no, it was it was odd because you know both my parents were were very sort of working class people. They both worked in factories, and even though my brothers older brothers played guitar and they were always listening to music, they. Non, no, nobody did it for a living. You know, there was no one in my family that was in the arts of any kind. So I, it, for me, it didn't register as a, a viable option of, to, make, to make a living. I just mm-hmm. had no idea you could do that, really. So again, I was playing trombone at school, then playing bass guitar and double bass. And my trombone teacher at the time sort of said, listen, he said, you know, you, you're really good on all these instruments. You can read music. You know, you've got very good time and feel whatever. He said, you know, you could earn money from this if you decide to. And I was really shocked at this. I thought, really? I had no idea. Because at school, the only thing I was any good at was uh, sports. You know, I wasn't a very good academic, but I was always a very good athlete. I loved athletics. I loved basketball. So I thought, if anything, that's where I was going to go. But yeah, so when I left school, my my trombone teacher said, um, first of all, he said, every band needs a bass player, not every band needs a trombonist. That's great. I'm not telling you to give up the trombone because I know you love playing it. He said, but you will get more work as a bass player. He was like a fixer in the West Midlands. I'm originally from Wolverhampton. So he would book bands for, or book musicians rather, for sessions uh, and, and, and all sorts, you know. So I, I was doing like sort of TV uh, adverts and radio jingles and stuff like that. So, and yeah, he, he started giving me work and I just couldn't believe it. I thought, wow, people are giving me money for doing something that I love. What's going on here? You know, <laughs> I love that. And you're right that, you know, because we've had more bass players on the Paul Weller fan podcast than any other profession. <laughs> <Is that right? laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And so when was it your paths crossed with Jaws? Because if I'm right in saying, I think 1987 is when the Jaws Holland big band started, but it evolves into this. I mean, I've seen you live a few times and this band, I don't know how many it is now, but is it like a 20 piece orchestra? It's massive. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
again, my, my knowledge of Jules was was definitely began with Squeeze. I, w- I was definitely a Squeeze fan. I remember buying Squeeze records. And I used to watch him on the tube with Paulie Yates. Another way how I learned to play was watching bands on there. But that was it. That was my only knowledge of Jules. So uh, I moved to London in 1988. Uh, and the reason I moved was I was a successful musician in and around the Midlands. I wanted to do more diverse stuff. I wanted to play with different musicians. I wanted to play more improvised music. I wanted to be in bands as opposed to being a session guy because I was just always in studios and, and having to read music as well. And I just wanted to do something a bit more creative. So I moved to London in 88 and started to do lots of jazz gigs and all, all sorts of different stuff. I ended up working with a saxophone player who'd already got uh, the gig with Jules. And, he, you know, he came to me one day and sort of said, you know, Jules is looking for a bass player, but he predominantly wants someone who plays double bass. He'd always used bass guitarists in the past. And I said, yeah, sure, you know, but the thing is, this was 1991. So Jules wasn't the Jules Holland that we know and love now because he didn't have a TV show. He didn't have a radio show. He wasn't a particularly household name. So it was a very different time. And I just thought, yeah, I remember Jules from this and that. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come along. So I did the audition at his studio, which is five minutes from where I live. And at the end of it, he, he said to me, oh, there was him and the guitar player and me on double bass. And we just jammed for about an hour. And at the end of it, Jules said, wow, that's really great. He said, but you know, we do have a, a, quite a few people to see. And I remember thinking, well, that, that sounds a bit of a brush off if ever I've heard it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I started to pack the bass away. And the thing is, I, I remember being very nonchalant about this. And, and I think the reason for that is if, if I was auditioning for the Jules gig now, there'd be a lot more to gain from having that gig because you'd be very aware of the TV stuff. You know, you know that you'd be doing tours and all that stuff and you'd be playing with very famous people. But back then, none of that existed. Mm. So I think that's what helps keeping me very grounded and relaxed about the whole thing. So I'm packing the bass up thinking, yeah, it's, it's whatever, you know. And then he went outside with a guitar player, came back a few minutes later and said, you know, look, the gig's yours hell with it you know let's let's just get on with this you know and then he said we'll get you some cassette tapes and we'll you know learn some of those songs and and that was it really so that was in 91 but again you know those first couple of the first year or so was just very quiet low-key stuff you know a couple of like college gigs polytechnics summer balls whatever still very, and i thought that was it i thought we were just going to be um a gigging r&b blues band and bearing in mind at that time it was a smaller setup it was only a nine-piece band and you weren't getting the guests the big guest stars no no at all. You on tour and things were you know no 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 at that very beginning it was pretty much just Jules and the band you know and I think sort of Sam Brown joined us fairly quickly but yeah at the very beginning it was just the band no, no guests coming along either at all but um but yeah and it was uh, and again I thought that was that and then in 92 and I don't know how it came about but Jules got asked to do later with, with Jules Holland. Or it wasn't called that at the time. I think it was called The Late Show or something like that. I think it, it turned into Later with Jules Holland afterwards. But yeah, so that happened in 92. And then The Hoot Nanny, the New Year's Eve TV show, started in 93. And then all hell broke loose. <laughs> and I say that in the nicest possible way. You know, because none of us were expecting that. None of us in the band, and maybe even Jules himself, saw that coming. You know, And maybe he thought that his TV show with Paulie Yates that maybe he thought, well, that's that, you know, and, and uh, all of a sudden he gets offered this super cool show. And for us, 
we'd never been on TV before, or I certainly hadn't. And I hadn't played with those kind of iconic and legendary artists. And all of a sudden, you're just getting these phone calls saying, oh, can you, you know, we've got Eric Clapton, we've got Paul Weller, we've got something, can you come and play with them? It's like, yeah. <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> give, me a, give me a few minutes. So, yeah, and it was, we, we were just thrust into the, the limelight. We None of us saw it coming, you know. But, yeah, I mean, thank goodness, because it's, it's been a wonderful 30-year ride ever since. Yeah, I mean, amazing. And um, I mean, later was, you're right, 8th of October 1992. And we're nearly 30 years later, as you say, um, for that show. And it's really now the only TV show that's worth watching for music. And we've missed it. I think we've missed the, the proper full band experience of that during lockdown, I have to say. I mean, I, I enjoy the Friday nights they're on at the moment, but it's not the same, is it? Yeah, it definitely isn't. And I mean, it's, it's a shame for... Yeah, because it was such a great atmosphere in that studio. We used to film it up in um, BBC Television Centre up in uh, Shepherd's Bush. But for the last six or seven years, maybe longer, it's been down in Maidstone in Kent. They they moved the whole thing down there. It's actually better for me actually because I'm in South East London, so it's actually easier to get to Kent than it is to get to the centre. <laughs> Travel across town, <laughs> but yeah. But it was just the the uh, the atmosphere of the play. I mean, I do miss the the, the, the original television centre. And there was talk before COVID happened of us going back there because I think the main studios are still there. The, what was taken over was some of the offices that were turned into apartments. I think the, sort of the studios are still there, so we might end up going back. But yeah, it, it's. Obviously, Jules has to do it now in his studio and there's just him and one guest and, and you can't have too many people in there. Uh, I mean, it was quite remarkable that we that we did the Hoot Nanny just gone because, you know, all of our tours have been cancelled and we thought, well, there's no, there's no way we're going to do the New Year's Eve show. But the BBC were, were quite insistent, you know, and they said, we really want to do this. And, and, and I was amazed that it came about because I thought, well, we're all going to have to travel separately, which is yeah. unheard of. We're all going to have to sit miles apart from each other, you know. And then, and obviously, we discovered things like, well, there's going to be no audience, there's going to be no celebrity guests, you know. Just every day, it was changing. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, this is so different. But then again, if you look at those early TV shows, um, and again, Paul was one of the earliest guests on there, uh, on the Who Anyone's, Ones, and they, they just look so different to how they are now. They, they were just like a small, tiny group of people that were just shoved in the corner. And it was all very sort of low key. And like now it's all very glitzy and big sets and hundreds of people. But it's funny how that, so I guess it was because when it first started, they didn't know how popular it was going to be. But it is, you're right. It's it's your, um, I mean, I I thought the one that just gone was going to be a clip show. I was like, there's no way this is going to be a, a, you know, a a new, new performances. And every year, this is a highlight for New Year's Eve that makes you almost not want to leave the house. It's like, if somebody invites (laughs) you to a party, you're like, yeah, but hold on. What about Jules? Are we going to have Jules at the party? Is that going to be on? Is Hootan going to be on? Oh, I'll come. That's fine. And there's been some real highlights every year, isn't there? Yeah, it's and it's odd as well becoming part of an institution because I, I remember as a, as a kid watching New Year's Eve, and I think was it was his name Andy Stewart or something like that. I think it was, and it was some Hogmanay show when you were a kid, some guy in a kilt in a castle up in Scotland. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> and that was the thing. That was the. The, the New Year's Eve show. And it's kind of so funny to have become part of what came after that, this quite iconic show. It's just, it's a very odd thing. And it's especially weird, you know, if you walk down the street and all, all sort of neighbours and that, oh, saw you get on TV last night, you know. <laughs> it's the highlight of our New Year's Eve. And it's a very odd feeling. Yeah, I bet, I bet. In people's homes on that iconic 
show really now when we talk about later you mentioned paul was was there right from almost from day one i mean certainly the july 1993 was his first performance with the stuff off of wildwood to sunflower and has my fire really gone out steve white on drums yolanda charles on bass helen turner on keys and then back for a stanley rose special in 95 with a few songs i think it's like four different songs even playing like ocean cull and sea there's a wonderful clip of him with with rico on trombone um bless him and and, and jaws playing as well where ocean cull and are playing line in your pockets and, and weller pops up on piano so he's there constantly he loves this show but the one I want to touch on is 1996 um, the fourth Hootenanny and Paul plays There's a, and I can't remember the order because there's only clips now on YouTube of the actual songs rather than the whole show so I'm not sure what was the first song I'm not sure if you can remember I really can't it's, it's that long ago but it was am I right in thinking it is it will it go round in circles I forgot to be your lover Yep. So Will It Go Round in Circles, which is Billy Preston's song. Uh, I Forgot to Be Your Lover, which is a William Bell song. And then Weller also plays with Mick Hucknall and Cassandra Wilson on Come Together, that's which you're right. not playing on because that's Andy, Andy yeah. Lewis is on bass on that one, I think. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, shoved, I'm shoved at the back still. <laughs> I, right. I, I was always shoved at the back. No, because I, I was looking at them the, the other day. Yeah, it's yeah, Cassandra Wilson, Paul and Mick Hucknall. Yeah, that's definitely me on, on Come Together. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, we just don't get as many good shots on that. Yeah, because it's still Jules's band so that would have that's still yeah. me on on, on there so. yeah but what I mean amazing Hootenanny but one of the lovely things was is those you get so many unique performances on that edition if you like of later that yeah. um, especially the, these very special performances and, and I know that you then that, that, that's will you, will you go around in circles was then on a Jaws album a couple of years later I'm not, I'm not sure if it was the same performance or re-recorded you'll probably know but what do you remember about the first time you played with Paul then the, the thing is like when, when you're doing the TV show you, you don't get to to, to hang with the artist, say as much as when we do an album recording with them. When Paul has done our albums, he, you know, you definitely get to spend the day with someone and you get to hang out and have a sandwich, whatever. On the TV show, it's it's very much a, a conveyor belt of people. So these artists, so so we get given the track to learn a day or so before or a few days. And then, you know, you turn up to the studio, you know, you run through it as a band and then they bring the artist out, you know. So, so really that first time I met Paul, he would have just walked onto the stage and said like, hi guys, you know, and then somebody would have counted the song off, you know. But I, you know, I just remember thinking it's just, it was just so cool because again, it's always great for me playing with people that, that one, I, I really liked or admired or I aspired to be like, or I bought their records. Mm. You know, that's the thing. I mean, there's loads of people that I've played with that I've that I've never heard of before, which is which is fine, and it's a great discovery. But when you when you get to work with someone that you grew up following and listening to, and you bought their records and whatever, I mean, that's always a very cool thing. You know? yeah. And Paul is such a such a great, he's such a cool guy, you know. And and, and it's kind of nice as well, you know, when these artists acknowledge the band because I mean, sometimes people come out and you know they're not as as warm as they could be, <laughs> you know. But Paul was, I remember him always being very appreciative and he was always saying thanks and that sounds great, guys, and all that kind of stuff, you know. But yeah, I particularly, I really loved playing Will It Go Around in Circles because from a bass player's point of view, you can really get your teeth into that, you know. And I think, did you say, was that written by Billy Preston, did you say? Yeah, yeah. Which is very cool because I because I got to play with him too. He was a guest on Jules' show years later and William Bell was the other writer. William Bell was the other song, so I forgot to be on yeah. other, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I've actually played with both of those via via the Jules thing, you know. So that's, that's kind funny. of that's, that's a lovely little connection, isn't it? Yeah, on the TV thing, because also what happens is once you've rehearsed with someone, then they have to go off and they go back to their dressing room or do whatever. But then you're still there waiting for the next artist to come along. So it's right. not as though you all break at the same time. So 
we didn't get really to chat with Paul that much uh, on that day, really. But it was just such a cool thing to finally be playing someone who I'd watched their career as I was as I was growing up, you know. So yeah, very cool guy to play with, man. Really nice. Very, again, very. Very appreciative of of, the, of what we were doing. Now, I mentioned earlier on another TV show that was a love of mine. So around this time was when I was starting my radio career. Around 1993, I got work experience at the BBC and, and, and then eventually a proper job at the BBC. And I was in love as a radio presenter, in love with Chris Evans. Um, he was who I wanted to be. I had ginger hair, glasses. I looked like Chris. Um, he was on the radio, uh, riding high. I'd been listening to the GLR days and then Radio 1 and all that. And you were there. Don't forget your toothbrush. What a bloody great show that was. You know what? When you said that earlier on, I, I honestly, I was going to say, don't forget your toothbrush. And I thought, if I say it, and he kind of goes, no. <laughs> I mean, later with Jules on. So I had a 50-50 chance of guessing the that one. But that was a big turning point for you with the double bass and the bass guitar, wasn't it? Yeah, well, well, actually, again, when I first got the Jules gig, he he said to me he just wanted double bass. He didn't want bass guitar at all, even though he'd used bass guitarists in the past. But I guess he thought, this is my own band now. I'm calling the shots. I want to do older stuff, more older R&B blues type stuff. And the upright bass is what was on all those original recordings. And we, I remember we did... I think the first TV show maybe I did with Jules was, or one of the very first was the, was Amnesty International. Way, way back. I think we filmed it up in Leeds and we played with, uh, it was Sam Brown, Misha Paris, Rick Astley, uh, Desiree. Uh, I think it was it was uh, it's very cool but then I remember thinking I'm listening to the, the bass parts that I'm going to have to play with these people and they were either definitely played on a bass guitar or a keyboard bass definitely not on a an acoustic double bass and I said and I bought the bass guitar along but Jules said no 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 everything on everything on upright you know and I thought well that's cool I thought it's unusual because I was as a session musician I was used to play choosing very specific instruments for specific songs. But Jules was insistent that I just used the double bass for, for everything. And then carrying on from that, we don't forget your toothbrush. The first couple of episodes or whatever, sure enough, I'm, I'm playing it there. And then we started to get more and more uh, songs to play with the artists where it was obvious that this wasn't going to work very well on, on double bass, you know, whether it was technically a lot more difficult or, or sound wise, you know. And so at one point I said, to, I think we had Shaka Khan on as a guest. Now Shaka Khan is definitely one of my all time favorites. Absolutely love. I've got all of her albums, you know? And uh, so that was a big deal for me, that show. And she wanted to do Ain't Nobody and I'm Every Woman. Wow. Cool. Which, you know, I think one of them was, definitely played on bass guitar the other one was probably a synth neither were played on double bass and I said to Jules I said look man I said please let me play bass guitar on this I said it's going to kill me trying to play it on double bass you know and it's just not going to sound great yeah. either and he said something to me at the time quite profound he said listen the reason why uh, you know I'm asking you to do this he said because he didn't want us to be like a, a typical generic TV band you know, there's a, there's a lot of house house TV bands where they just kind of sound quite similar, or they or they did in the past. You know, and they and they just they, they just disappear into the song. And he wanted us to still have our identity and our personality as the Jules Holland Band. And he thought that part of the personality of the band was me playing 
double bass on everything, even a pop song. Uh, and I said, I totally get that. I said, but we're talking about physicality here. We, you know, and, and anyway, long story short, I convinced him. I said, listen, let me use bass guitar on certain things and I'll use the double bass as much as possible, but I need I need to use the, the both things. So that was the start of it. I'm, yeah, don't get your toothbrush. It was when he, he yeah. finally allowed me to, to play both. And also, I guess there's the crossover between later and, and that show where you're playing with huge big stars. So I remember, you know, Sandy Shaw, I think Tom Jones was on it. There was, it was Roger Daltrey on one. I, I actually was in the audience for the episode with Cher. Yeah. And you can see because Cher reads out my mum's, for some reason I took my mum, Cher reads out my mum's name and my mum shat herself thinking that she was about to get dragged up on stage <laughs> or something. Um, and you can see me with the glasses, the ginger hair and the Chris Evans copy suit. It's, tra- it's quite tragic, I have to say. But, but you, you played with some amazing stars, didn't you? Well, yeah, it was. I mean, that show was interesting because I'm, I'm, a lot of people are not aware of it, and a lot of people just remember the wacky game show, yeah, yeah. crazy aspect of it. But, but yeah, for us as the house band, we every week was a different artist, and we got to play two songs every week. And some of the guests on there were as as iconic as, as the ones that were appearing on Jules's more serious mm. later show. So yeah, we we definitely had you know there was Hugh Cornwell came on there, Barry White came on yeah, there, Lou, yeah. Lou Kylie, you know Shaka Khan. You know, there were there was some really amazing sort of guests on there and uh, we were all riding high as a band then because we were all earning more money than we'd ever known before and I think it was when a lot of, a lot of us got mortgages for the for the first time <laughs> uh, and, and it was great working with Chris actually he he was lots of fun and and I think in between series I, I got very very ill I was I was uh, in hospital for, for a while him and the production company sent me flowers and a big sort of bowl of fruit and all that kind of stuff so or, or you know really it was like a very family unit you know so yeah it was a blast you know I'm going to fast forward to 2006 because this is at the beginning I mentioned these iconic performances that I can't remember how big social media was in 2006 but you know if the phrase go viral it was a thing then that would have been it Amy Winehouse the 14th Hootenanny um, Weller performs Don't Go to Strangers the Etta Jones song and Heard It Through the Grapevine the Marvin Gaye song what do you remember about those performances because sometimes to me it seems like sometimes things just blow up and become something else and that was one of them that that, that yeah. show was one of them that was incredible to watch I think was was that the same year he, he did uh, on his own did he do I don't need no, I don't need no doctor I think was, yeah I think you're right yeah I think you're right yeah I mean at this stage I and mean, obviously we, we've played with Paul uh, a lot now and and people say to me they say you know do you do you get nervous you know on TV shows I mean not particularly because a lot of the people that we're we're playing with we've played with them a, a lot of times and Paul was one of those guys we've worked with a lot and also because he's in my experience was easy to get along with you know again we didn't have and I've never had really long hours conversation with him but I've always gotten on with him really well so when you end up playing with these people it, it's always cool I mean how, how can you not mm do it but at the same time because if you do it a lot and you do it regularly you know it's just something that you become used to playing with these iconic people on a regular basis but it's it's always been a pleasure work for and I do love his voice I love the way he's reinvented himself you know gone on to do different things you know and uh, so yeah that year with Amy that was really special because also we played with her she'd done the hoot nanny way back before she adopted the um, the image that she had at the time you know I think she'd done a, a standard years prior to that um, I think it was Teach Me Tonight we'd done with her before that and then she'd done the radio show so I think this was that that appearance with her and Paul was the last time we, we worked with her and it was 
you know, I, I, again, I'm always a big fan of hers. I thought she was amazing, so unique, such a such a one-off. So to get these two together, Heard It's With a Great Mind is such an iconic song as well. It's such a great thing to play. And so that was that was stunning. And also, you know, I mean, I'm a big jazz fan. Probably my record collection, there's more jazz in it than anything else, you know. So, so obviously Don't Go to Strangers is, is, is an old standard, you know. So, you know, so playing those songs with these two icons, I mean, I, would, I just thought it just doesn't get any better than this. This is, this is as good as it gets, you know. It was stunning. And you can see actually on the Hootenanny when you're watching, there's a bit in that Don't Go to Strangers where Paul and Jules catch eyes and you can tell that they're thinking, this is special, this is great. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, you know, and she. I mean, what I would say about that is, obviously, Amy was at that stage. I think it was, you know, things had changed. And if you watch that performance, if you watch the performance when she sang with us, yeah, worlds apart, isn't it? Yeah, in terms yeah, of and she's she's bright and she's smiling and super happy. And when when, when she did that show, when she was duetting with Paul, things were very different. You know, she she looked very distant. She behaved quite similarly. You know, she just it's like she wasn't wasn't almost there but then again you know she yeah she was like she was a little bit disengaged but then when she performed when, when that voice came out mm. oh my goodness you know she was as, as good as she's ever been you know so and I think she enjoyed it I, I think she really loved doing it you know but I, I think she was probably having some difficulty really expressing herself because whatever was going on in her private life but I think musically because I think otherwise she wouldn't have been able to have done that performance you know and she sounded great on all those songs as did Paul and that song was on on the album The Golden Age of Song in 2012 but different versions so you used her vocal that you yeah. re-recorded is that right? So, so this was yeah this was a very unique situation nothing like this had ever happened before so we'd done the Hoot Nanny and Jules' record company at the time so we're doing that album The Golden Age of Song and they sort of said listen we really want to use that version of it we want to make some changes uh, and, and also we so we, we all talked about this and I talked about it with Jules and Paul got involved as well and the, the first of all the major change that the, the, the record company wanted to do is if you listen to that song on the Hootenanny Paul starts the song off he sings the, the first section and then then Amy comes in and then they, they alternate but I think the record company said we want the song to start with Amy the first voice you want to hear it is this. And I guess because it's because she, she was no longer with us and she, she was this icon. So they sort of said, we specifically want her to start it off, you know. Uh, and it was weird because so straight away, if you snip the pull section from the beginning, it, it kind of puts the sequence of the song slightly out of kilter. Now, most people wouldn't. I hadn't noticed that, no. But, but you know, like a lot of jazz songs, they have certain forms, you know, they, yeah. they have like, they have two A sections and then a B section and then another A section. So this is kind of like just one A section. And, you know, so it's slightly disjointed, but only like a muso or particularly a jazz muso would would clock that. But I listened to it again before we started this and, it, and it, it's it's absolutely fine. It doesn't sound wrong or horrible. But the main thing was that her voice is the first thing that you hear. So that was the first thing. And then we all spoke to each other and we said, well, look, if we're doing this, if really we could just isolate her vocal and we could we could redo a, a lot of things. So for instance, there were some te- technical difficulties on that show. Uh, I think there might've been some tuning issues with certain sections. I won't go into detail. For some reason, I played bass guitar, which 
For the other songs, was great, but I think Don't Go Into Strangers should have been upright bass. And, and I don't know whether it was just out of laziness, I'm not sure. But And I just thought, okay, if we're going to redo this, let me redo my bass part and let me play my, my double bass on there because it will sound right. better, sound more authentic. And then all of a sudden, you know... <laughs> Everyone starts to come forward. I want to redo my thing. I want to <laughs> and Paul in particular, Paul, he was very keen to redo his vocal. He wasn't happy with his performance, his vocal performance on the Hoot Nanny. And he definitely said, well, listen, this is great news because I, I want to do the voice again. And I think, and that's fair enough because, you know, on, on the TV show, it's, because it's a it's a party show. It's it's there's a lot of stuff kind of going on, and you're very aware that you're you're there as entertainment more so than making groundbreaking iconic recordings. You know that's not in your yeah. mind. It's more we're having a party. We need to entertain everybody. You know, so you might not as, as be fastidious with your performance uh, as if you were in a studio doing an album. So that was what the, that was the beauty of redoing that with Amy's voice was because we all got to do everything again on the instruments that wanted to do them. We corrected everything. And, and it, was, it was great. It was the weirdest thing, though, going back to Jules' studio. I remember being there on my own uh, with my double bass and the microphones there and just the playback coming through and just hearing Amy's voice through my headphones, uh, I think was a click track. And, and, it, and it was kind of weird because obviously you, you get goosebumps because she was no longer with us. And, uh, but I think for all of us, it, it made us... It made it a more of an emotional recording. There was a lot more poignancy there now because she she'd gone. So, mm-hmm. so I think everyone stepped up, and it, it's definitely a, a superior recording of that song. It, we're still with her original vocal, but you know, it's it's still nice to watch the the video as well with all its flaws. Yeah, absolutely. And that was the same album that had the September in the Rain, which is um, that's right, Dinah Dino Washington, that right? Yeah. Now, yeah, who who is one of my because my wife's a professional jazz singer, so she she yeah she's a big fan of her actually but um yeah so that went so paul came to jules studio to record that and that was again it, those are the days that you really get to hang out with people and you have a lot of fun with them and uh, and i've got a couple of really nice photographs of paul and myself from that recording there's one of us actually standing at the the mixing desk uh, and, we're, and we're both standing there listening to the the playback you know deep in concentration um and then when we realized it, it was all fine we we had a nice more smiley picture outside because we're relaxing. But one thing that I, I do remember from that day is when, when we were running through the takes of September in the Rain, I couldn't believe how amazing he sounded. I couldn't believe his voice on that because, yeah, I, I, I knew what he sounded like with the jam and the style council, all the other things he did. But all of a sudden, I'm hearing this crooner, this jazz crooner. And honestly, and and this wasn't being sycophantic because you have to be careful when you play with these great people that, you know, you've got to be friendly to them. You've got to be respectful, but you can't be too sycophantic with them because, you know, but, but, so, but, you know, if you genuinely feel something, you should say it. And I said, listen, I said, that sounds amazing. I said, you sound like Nat King Cole. I actually said to him, you sound like that. I said, where, where does that voice come from, man? Where did you, where did you look, get to sing like that? Because, and he's got this beautiful vibrato and this rich velvet sound. I'm thinking, man alive, you know, how does this guy do this? You know, I've read things more recently where he's talked about being more in control of his voice, but also using it more as an instrument and, and seeing it that way. And you can definitely hear that the last few albums. There's yeah. so many different vocal techniques he's playing to the song where sometimes it might sound a bit like Bowie and like you say, Summer High. It's yeah. an incredible thing to be able to be doing that 40 years on, you know. Absolutely. I, I said to him, I said, listen, I said, you should do an album of standards. I said, you really should with a, with a voice like that. Because I, I just had never heard him sing like that before. 
it really and it was yeah it's beautiful again I listened to it briefly before we, we started to chat and I just wow it's incredible right, yeah. but I, I, again I, I love when people reinvent themselves like that and I think it's it's really refreshing and it's really inspiring and I think it's important for artists to do you know yeah it was interesting I was watching the um, the later in lockdown show a few weeks back with Tom Jones and he's somebody I know you've, you've obviously played with and, and actually him and Paul duetted on one of the Hootenannies with um, a Ray Charles song which was with Weller's band I, I don't know if you were pushed into the background on that one as well or not oh, no, the other end of the studio yeah. um, but again he was talking about he's got a new album out and was still recording original material and I think that's just remarkable he's 80 I mean Paul's in his 60s now but to still be writing new material or working with writers on, on new stuff not just banging out the classics and the, the well, back catalogue is, is remarkable isn't it yeah he, he's definitely one of one of my favourites because again I mean, you, you, a kid growing up in the 70s he was on TV all the time whether or not whether it was on TV show or it was on Morgan and Wise so getting to play with him was, was cool in fact we, we did an album with Tom Jones a whole album with him with, with Jules's band and it was my mum's birthday um, during the recording of it and, and obviously mum you know loved Tom Jones and, and grew up with him and so I, I, I was a surprise I said to him like, Tom do you mind having a, if I call my mum could you just say happy birthday to her <laughs> And he said, sure, sure. He said, what's, what's, he said, what's the name? I said, that's, it's Joan. Joan, Joan, okay. He's got a Welsh accent. Take it. <laughs> um, anyway, I said, oh, hi, mom. I said, happy birthday. I said, there's someone that wants to say hello to you. And I passed the phone over and he's kind of going, hello, hello, Joan. Joan, it's, it's Tom, Tom. And then he's, he's, his face kind of, and he kind of goes, it's Tom Jones, singer, <laughs> Welsh Welsh singer Tom Tom John and, he, and, he, and I'm kind of going what is going on here and he said anyway love have a, have a great birthday lots of love lots of and apparently my mum had kind of gone Tom Tom who <laughs> I don't know any Tom who's, who's, who's this you know and of course I should have preempted it I should have said to her mum I'm going to put Tom Jones on there yeah. I wanted to be a surprise <laughs> but he's kind of going hello it's, it's Tom and she's kind of going no no don't don't know any Tom <laughs> now I have to say um, on your website there's a list of artists you've played with and we've not got time on this podcast this will be an hour long episode alone just to read the names but we don't want to bore everybody <laughs> no but is there anybody you haven't played with that you would like to because that list is incredible from you know from everybody from I'm trying to think of A A from Adele to Paul Simon um, George Harrison Van Morrison everybody's on this list aren't they yeah I mean we, well it was great because we've actually played with three of the Beatles and two of the Rolling Stones which I guess I guess isn't too shy you know but um but yeah and, and actually that, that list there's there's loads missing of it but i just i got to a point where i just couldn't be bothered to keep adding the names <laughs> yeah. and also, I'm thinking, well, no one's going to just sit there and go through hundreds and hundreds of names so but there are a lot missing from it i've been asked this a lot lately about who, who i'd love to play with and actually there, there aren't that many and and i don't say that in any kind of flippant or glib way you know but I, I genuinely have played well, they've all been on yeah they've all you've played yeah, them all <laughs> my personal hero you know people like some of my own heroes like Shaka Khan George Benson Al Jarreau Smokey Robinson Paul Simon as you said these for me were like big favourites I've got all their albums and stuff but I suppose the ones that I haven't played with I definitely would love to play with Stevie Wonder that would be that would be really great and I'd be very very happy there uh, and uh, Joni Mitchell 
as well. I would, I'd love to play with her. And I know she's not been in the best of health. But, um, and it's funny because my brothers used to listen to Joni Mitchell when I was a kid, but the early stuff. But I started to listen to her much later on when she was working more with jazz musicians. I think Stevie Wonder's got some new material coming out or a new album this oh, year. So, you know, let's get back to some laters where you can get in the studio and that, that has yeah, to yeah. happen. That has to happen, man. That has to happen. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that, those two, I, I would, if, if I could add those two to my CV, I would definitely be very happy. But I'm, I'm also still very happy the way things are. Well, fingers crossed you guys can get back out on the road. I know there are some dates, I think, for um, tail end of the year, I think I'm right in saying, for the, the Rhythm yeah. and Blues Orchestra with yours because that, that band is remarkable. The, the singers and the stars, that, I mean, I love Sam Brown when she was with you. I think the, the tour this time around is Leo Sayer, Chris Difford, who I'm actually talking to at two o'clock this afternoon. It's always a great night out coming to see you guys. Oh, bless. Yeah, well, funnily enough, really quickly, I, I wasn't. I, I did do one gig with Squeeze. I, I was an honorary member for one evening back in 98. They did a New Year's Eve gig and their bass player couldn't make it. So I, I, I had to step in, but they didn't send me the tapes until the night before the gig. And I had to learn like 25 Squeeze songs, which are not easy to learn. They're not really simple tunes. And also I had a stomach bug and I was really ill that night. I was like, I was most of the night sort of, sort of vomiting violently. And I thought the next day I've got this one gig with Squeeze squeeze and I, but I managed to battle through but it wasn't easy I had to stay up all night learning those squeeze songs but um <laughs> But it, it was it was worth it. It was great to do. But yeah, the, the Jules thing. Hopefully, the, the winter tour, the autumn winter tour, will happen. And I'm assuming because we've we've just done the hoot nanny in the midst of lockdown. I'm assuming there's no reason why we won't be doing we won't be doing the next one. So yeah, yeah. I, I think we're all champing at the bit to get out there on the road again. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Well, fingers crossed. Uh, I have a couple of final questions for you. And this has been an absolute delight, Dave, I have to say. You are allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. Which one's it going to be? It can be the Jam the Star Council or Solo. And you know what? As it's you, it can be a collaboration either from live on Later or from album with Jaws. So what are you going to pick? One track. So hang on, does it have to be one that he's written or... Uh, no, 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 no. Just he can play, play just piano on it for all I care. That's I, fine. I, You're I mean, allowed honest, whatever. If I had to pick one, I'm just trying to think of the one that I had the most fun with and it was probably probably really was Willie Go Round in Circles because that was you know and, and, and I thought he sounded great on that both on the TV version and on the uh, on the album and for me as a bass player it was it was very it's a very cool line to play you know so so yeah if I if I had to listen to one Paul Weller song for, forever it would be him him singing that song the band sounded great on it you know the horn section is a great horn part as well but I think that was but then you know the, the, the evening with with him and Amy I think was was definitely very emotional it's a very moving thing mm. but I just think just out and out kind of rocking out that the version we did with him Will It Go In Circle was my favourite performance of you all look so bloody cool as well. I mean, he, I mean, he always looks cool. But that band, when you watch that band, and I'll share the link with the podcast, um, you guys look like, hey, you're, yeah, you're having such fun playing that song, but you all look pretty dapper and pretty cool, I have to say. Oh, yeah. Oh, bless you. <laughs> now, the purpose of this podcast, as well as talking to lovely people like yourself, is to get a meeting with Paul, to be able to have a conversation, the conversation I never managed to have in my radio career that I gave up 10 years ago, with that one regret that I never got to interview Paul. If it happens, what should I chat to him about? Is there a killer question? or a topic that you reckon we should cover off? Well, I think you should ask him, uh, how is it playing with bassist Dave Swift? I think you, <laughs> that would be a, 
<laughs> he's actually this has come up quite a lot on the podcast uh, around that no not playing with you but um but just the fact that he's actually a very good bass player himself so when he started the jam from day one he was the bass player in the jam so with the star council some of the honorary councillors would play live but actually on record it would be weller on the bass guitar so is there a, co- yeah. be a bit of competitive nature between the two of you yeah i mean you know you should probably ask him because like i said when he when he did uh september in the rain and like i said he did sound like a, a, an old style crooner to me you know, i really did I, and i did think of that king cola you know i was being genuine but yeah you should sort of uh you know ask him why he hasn't done an album of standards but he, he might kind of he might punch me for asking, for asking the question, but I don't know. But I don't know, he did just, he did such a good job of it. He did such a brilliant job, yeah. Now, I know there's a lot of pop stars that have done the jazz big band thing. Maybe one of the reasons why he hasn't is because he just didn't want to be... Yeah, as, soon as, as soon as Robbie Williams did it, it killed off the genre for him. Yeah, yeah and I think, I think Rod, I think Rod Stewart did one as well, didn't he? Which I, which I didn't hear. But actually, I think out of all of them, I think sort of Paul would probably be the one most suited to it from what I remember from his voice because it sounded really old school. It sounded from that era. I thought it was beautiful. So, so yeah, ask okay. him why he's not done one of those. Dave, this has been brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. Fingers crossed you can get back out on the road soon. Um, we'd love to see you all live. I know that. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for your time. I've loved every second of this. Been mine. Thank you. My thanks once again to Dave Swift, another brilliant guest. Check out my show notes for all the links to find the songs and the performances that we talked about. Next time around, I'm joined by the general trumpet player Steve Trigg, who has performed and arranged with Paul Weller in recent years. We're talking Stone Foundation, DC Fontana, Pee Wee Ellis, and much, much more. So many stories to share with you on the next episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed this one, then please share on your social media channels. Tag a Weller-loving mate in as well. You can also buy me a coffee and leave a review. Find out more in my show notes. Get in touch on Twitter at WellerFanPod or on Instagram and Facebook. It's Paul Weller Fan Podcast. I'll see you next time. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. 
code PROGRAM.